0: Well, good morning, Elevation. Good to be with you in this online space. Although I hope you have been spending most of your time the last few days outdoors in this gorgeous spring weather. The other day, I was sitting outside on our deck playing a board game of Scrabble with Mosa and Sophia. And well, let's just say it wasn't going so well for me. At one point, I looked down at my letters and I'll put them up on the screen here for you. I actually took a picture because I thought Look, this is such a terrible string of letters. What am I supposed to do with these? A P, C. V, J, G, like these letters just don't go together to form any good words. Anyways, I ended up coming in dead last, not very fun at all. Uh, But I was thinking about the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, which we've been spending the last couple of weeks in, and how it's the attempt of an ancient wisdom teacher to take a look at what we could say the scrambled tiles of his life and see if he could find any meaning in it. And so we're trying to do a similar thing here this month. We're reading about his experiences so we can explore some of the ways that we try to make sense of our own lives, which can also feel sometimes absent of meaning. Now, this morning's reading suggests that perhaps the way to a meaningful and fulfilling life is through knowledge and understanding, as in, the more we know, the better off we'll be. In many ways, this makes perfect sense. I mean, the more I know about the weather forecast, the better long weekend plans I can make. The more I know about the value of goods, the better shopper I will be. I was thinking about this uh, image that Owen sent to our family group chat, I don't know, about six weeks or so ago, before he moved home from his student house in Hamilton. He was in the grocery store and he found this rack of ribs, and what you can't see on this is the price. That's $5.65 for a rack of back ribs. That's a really good deal. And because he knew the value of ribs, he went ahead and bought them and enjoyed a nice rack of ribs on the barbecue with his housemate. So, again, the more I know about another person, on a slightly more serious note, the better I can understand their point of view, correctly interpret their actions, and generally speaking, get along with them. Now, on the flip side of this, if I don't know very much about something, well, I'm bound to struggle. The less I know about technology, the more I'll feel lost in this Zoom land that we live in. The less I know about home improvement, well, the longer my to-do list is going to grow. and the less I know about another person, the more likely I'll be to misinterpret what they say, to judge their actions unfairly, or maybe even ignore them altogether. So there seems to be a pretty clear tie between knowledge and living a better life. But as the teacher discovered, sometimes seeking knowledge brings its own challenges. Right off the bat, he comes face to face with the sheer volume of things to be known. Ecclesiastes 1.13. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. Now, something that's a good practice to do if you find a Bible, a passage in scripture that resonates with you or that you're having trouble with is to read some different translations. I mean, not many of us read Hebrew, which is what the language that the book of Ecclesiastes is written in. So we're gonna read an English translation. But the thing I discovered about this passage, this phrase, what a heavy burden mankind uh, is laid on mankind, uh, is that actually almost every translation in English has a different phrase for this sentence. One version calls it a sorry task that God has laid on mankind. What an an unhappy business. What a miserable business and a burdensome task. God hasn't made it easy for us. God has made this so hard for humans to do. God has given us terrible things to face. God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. That last one's really dramatic. All of these coming together to say that there is just simply so much going on in this world of ours. There is too much for us to know, and we will never be able to stay on top. Now, have you ever had that kind of feeling? Like you can't keep up with everything? You can't stay on top of life? In verse 17, the teacher says, I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. And there's that image again, we've come across that the last two Sundays, trying to grasp something that can never be grasped, chasing after the wind. Not only is there so much for us to know about, but there are an increasing number of sources of information and so-called knowledge available to us. Now, this was not a problem for our teacher in Ecclesiastes. He might have had to check out more than one library to get his information, but generally, information that was available to him was probably pretty localized. We have this thing called the internet where there, is a hundred, there are a hundred opinions on every different topic imaginable. How are we supposed to know which statistics to believe, which politicians to take seriously, which journalists to trust, which preachers are telling us the truth? But the teacher discovers something else about knowledge and understanding that's important for us to name before we move on. In verse 18, he writes, With much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. What does he mean by this? Well, think about the last time that you heard um, some heavy news from someone that you love. Um, someone in your family or a friend or a neighbor who is struggling. Maybe they're struggling uh, f- with a physical illness or economically or in a relationship. When you hear that, you experience that grief. So it's like you've learned more information and that information has caused you grief. Uh, on a broader scale, One of the news headlines that's capturing the attention of so many people around the world today is the violence in the Gaza area between Israelis and Palestinians. And you can look at this, and if you decide to try to know more about it and learn more about the conflict, it will bring you grief because it is a terrible thing that is happening in that part of the world. Now, sometimes we're tempted actually to stay away from knowledge and understanding because we want to avoid grief. The truth is if the sheer volume that is out there for us to know about is a heavy burden, not to mention where we're supposed to get that knowledge, well then so is the content of what we'll learn when we apply our minds like the teacher did. There's a 1980s Christian recording artist named Keith Green, and he has a song that he wrote to his son when he was young. He says, if I could, I would protect you from what you will see. In a sense, those are the sentiments of just about any parent who wants to protect their innocent child from the heaviness and the weight and the grief of the world, but we don't actually need to be protected. What we need, if we have any real hope of carrying the burden of a greater knowledge and understanding, is the application of wisdom. And so as the poet T.S. Eliot asks, where is the wisdom we have lost in knowledge? Alright, so I'm going to play a little bit of a game with you. I'm going to put four images, four faces up on the screen. Now I want you to take a look at these faces and I want you to tell me which of these four people is the wisest. Alright, so I'm guessing that you've got your answer because I chose kind of three pretty stereotypical people who are probably not determined as wise and one who I'm guessing you chose this woman. And I'm guessing the reason that you chose her is because she is an elder. Um, There's something that when we think about wisdom, we tend to associate it with age. That in order to be wise, you've got to be long on years. So I'm going to try a slightly more challenging game for you. I'm going to put up three new faces alongside last round's winner. Here we go. Now I want you to tell me which one of these four people is the wisest. This becomes a little trickier, isn't it? It's one thing to say that, okay, someone who's got a lot of years under their belt, a lot of experience, they are gonna be wise. But when you've got four people who have kind of a similar amount of life experience, how do you know who's wise? You see, wisdom isn't something that you can easily identify based on appearance alone. And it's not something that you can easily acquire either. Thomas More writes, just as the mind digests ideas and produces intelligence, the soul feeds on life and digests it creating wisdom and character out of the fodder of experience." That's such a great line. The idea and this image of our lives digesting the experiences that we have in order to generate wisdom. So if we wanna think about what wisdom is, um, it is knowledge, but to knowledge, we would also need to add experience and then good judgment. Now, we're going to talk about those elements and what wisdom is really all about in a minute. But first, I want to talk about something else that the teacher mentions. He refers to it in chapter 1 and then repeats it in chapter 2, verses 12 to 14. I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. Now, last week we talked about how there's a part of us that would just love to put pleasure to the test, just to double check that it wouldn't provide meaning after all, so we could just engage ourselves with all kinds of things that would bring us pleasure and see if that brought meaning. Well, here's another tantalizing suggestion. What if we embraced madness and folly? The teacher says, well, I considered wisdom and I considered madness and folly. What if instead of making the wise choice, instead of being rational, instead of researching the pros and cons, instead of thinking about the consequences, instead of being mature, what if we went ahead and followed every whim without hesitation? Last summer I got this book out from the library and it's called, it was called How to Be a Family. It kind of an unfortunate title. One day Jude saw it on the coffee table and he's like, Dad, are we that bad? I'm like, no, no, no. It's it's a story about a family that decided to take a year off of work and try living life as a family of four in four different countries around the world. And when I was reading this book, I was thinking, it's great that I'm reading this because I would never do this. This seems like madness and folly to me, the idea of just letting go of your life and trying to live all over the different world all over the world in different places. Now, sometimes it works out and you get to write a book about it, but many times something like that doesn't work out. But in the Old Testament, the title fool, it's not really about being risky. It carries an additional moral connotation. It's not so much about ignoring common sense as it is about ignoring God's guidance. There's a well-known verse in Psalm 14 verse 1 that says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now, this wasn't really a denial of the existence of God. Not many people at that time would have done that. Um, it's more about, this is how I live my life, as if there's no God. A couple of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs, which is found right beside Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, if you have a good old-fashioned paper Bible, um, there is filled with sayings about the wise person and the fool. Proverbs 18, verse 6. The lips of fools bring them strife, and their mouths invite a beating. Chapter 26, verse 11, as a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. Not a nice image, not a nice way to live either. So there are different ways that we can choose to live. We either kind of follow God's path of wisdom or we follow our own path of folly. Ecclesiastes 10, verse 2 reads, the heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. So at the end of the day, wisdom involves something more than information. It involves being attuned to the ways that we were created to live and allowing our lives to be guided in that direction. So picking up from chapter 2, verse 13 to 14, I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise have eyes in their heads while the fool walks in darkness. Now, this passage that I'm kind of in the middle of reading here, it starts off quite positive, an acknowledgement that, yeah, following his wisdom is good, being a fool is not. But then it takes a turn. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Let me read the next couple of lines, chapters 15, verses 15 and 16. Then I thought in my heart, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said in my heart, this too is meaningless. For the wise man, like the fool, will not be long remembered. In days to come, both will be forgotten. Like the fool, the wise man too must die." Now, I'm starting to recognize a pattern in the teacher's pursuit of a meaningful life, something I hadn't noticed reading Ecclesiastes in the past. So far, he's tried to find meaning through work, pleasure, and wisdom. And in each case, he comes to this kind of conclusion. Neither of these are very much good after you die, but they're not that bad for now. Based on his exploits, I'm getting a sense that life might be most meaningful when it's lived in the moment and when it isn't overly concerned with what comes later. We'll talk about that more in a couple of weeks, but I just wanted to put that out there this morning. Like the fool, the wise too must die, but wisdom can still show the way to live to a life well lived. So a good question for us might be, how can we grow in wisdom? One of my favorite passages in the Bible when it comes to understanding how we're called to live our lives as followers of Jesus comes from Romans chapter 12, verse two. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, this passage challenges us to see a couple of things. The first is that the way that we think Is often patterned after the world around us rather than after God. That would be the path of the fool. And secondly, that the renewal of our minds is a key component in the transformation that is required to know God and to do his will. Gordon MacDonald writes that in our pressurized society, people who are out of shape mentally usually fall victims to ideas and systems that are destructive to the human spirit and human relationships. They are victimized because they have not taught themselves how to think, nor have they set themselves on the lifelong pursuit of the growth of the mind. Not having the facility of a strong mind, they grow dependent upon the thoughts and opinions of others. So by falling out of shape mentally, we naturally conform to the pattern of the world. So a good question might be to ask, what are some ways that we can renew our minds in the pursuit of wisdom? I'm going to leave that question for there. We'll talk about it in our post-service neighbors groups in a little while. But I want to continue. So I mentioned earlier that wisdom can has three components knowledge, which we've talked about a fair bit here. um, But wisdom also includes experience. I watched this great video this week. I saw the headline on the CBC News site and uh, had to watch it. It was about uh, basically a husband and wife who were driving to the hospital. She was in labor and he has like a dash cam filming to kind of record their journey. And he's given this little commentary and he's kind of a funny guy. just like chatting away, being nonchalant with it. His wife is in the passenger seat. She's like breathing deeply. They're counting. He's got his little phone out. He's like, we're right on, babe. This is great. Three and a half minutes. This is looking good. But all of a sudden, her breathing is getting a little quicker. She's getting a little more anxious and before you know it uh, he has this look on his face. I'm going to show the picture here for you. Uh, When I was watching the video I thought this right here this is the exact moment that he realizes uh, we're not making it to the hospital and so they continue to scramble. They get the midwife on the phone. They pull over to the side of the road. He runs over to the side of the car. He's frantically looking for some kind of blanket or towel and all of a sudden out pops the baby and he puts this little baby girl on his wife's chest and it's just this beautiful kind of image. But I was thinking about it as I was in the middle of writing this, this sermon about wisdom be, requiring experience, and I was thinking about, you know, they had their plans, they kind of knew what they needed to do, they had the timing set up, um, but all of a sudden the experience of actual, the actual birth, it took over everything. And they learned a lot more about birth and about uh, childbirth in that moment because of the experience. Um, so I thought it was just a great story and a reminder that wisdom, yes, requires knowledge, but also experience. Eugene Peterson says, We truly know something only by entering it, knowing it from the inside, lovingly embracing it. That is what wisdom is, truth assimilated and digested. Now, we need to gain this firsthand eventually, but we, can't, but we can start out by gleaning wisdom from others. Proverbs 13 verse 20 says, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. So pay attention to the people that you surround yourself with. But there's a flip side of this as well. Some of us have been around long enough where you might consider yourself to have some wisdom in life. You've got knowledge and you've got that life experience. Ecclesiastes 12 verse 9, reflecting on the life of the teacher, says not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. And so part of the challenge is is If wisdom is something that you have accumulated over the course of a lifetime, find opportunities to share it with others who are searching for wisdom. So wisdom is knowledge plus experience plus good judgment. Now, this is a a requirement because you can have a lot of knowledge and a lot lot of life experience and not make wise decisions. James chapter three, uh, a a letter in the New Testament of the Bible says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. So part of the evidence of a life of wisdom are deeds done in humility. In the words of Jesus, wisdom is proved right by all her children. So the actions, the life lived by a wise person proves that they are indeed wise. And of course, we can't have much of a conversation about wisdom without turning to Jesus, who Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians, as the wisdom of God. Christ is the wisdom of God. Jesus embodies wisdom for us like no one ever has and like no one ever will. But then his idea of good judgment is bound to make us hesitate on the path to wisdom. You see, the teacher spurned wisdom because it couldn't guarantee him eternal life. While Jesus embodied wisdom in its truest form by embracing death. But that embracing of death actually paved the way for every one of us to live not only meaningful lives here and now, but eternal lives beyond the grave. Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 1. He talks about the message of the cross, the message of Jesus' sacrificial death in our place, of his embracing death for the sake of the world. The message of the cross is the foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And so this is a question that we have to ask, where are we finding our wisdom in the world around us or are we finding it in God? Are we willing to conform not to the pattern of the world, but to the pattern of Jesus who embodied wisdom in its fullness? In just a couple of minutes, we're going to break for the aforementioned neighbors group. So we're going to check in with one another and have some discussion about this morning's theme. But before we do, I want to read a final passage from Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7 and 9, and then we'll pray. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. Cherish her, and she will exalt you. Embrace her, and she will honor you. She will give you a garland to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. So let's pray, because the Bible tells us that if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all. Let's do that exact thing. Lord, we are grateful for the opportunity that we have to come to you and say, we lack wisdom, but we want it. We want not only the head knowledge and not only the lived experience, but also the opportunity and the understanding of how to live the good life. God, we want to follow this. We're looking for meaning and purpose in life and we know that ultimately it is found in you. So I pray that you'd be with us in our pursuit of wisdom. Give us what we don't have and allow us to invite others to journey with us as well. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, so it's been great to be with you this morning. Hopefully, you can join us for these neighbors' groups. If you haven't been a part of one before and you'd like to check it out, there'll be a link in the comments now. And if you click that, you'll be able to join one of the groups. Thanks. Peace to you.